Good evening, brethren, and welcome to tonight's study. We're up to Judges chapter 5, which is a song of celebration. Last week we covered Judges 4, and we saw the victory through Deborah and Barak and Yael. And so this week it's a celebration. It's a song celebrating that victory that we read of last week. Uh, we'll spend about half an hour or so on tonight's study, and then Pastor Murray is going to join us, and we'll have a, a Q&A. I think as we go through these um, books... I just want to do a check-in every once in a while, make sure that everybody is tracking. If you have any questions, rather than leave it all the way to the end, we'll do these, uh, these check-ins every four or five chapters or so and uh, answer your questions live on air. So Pastor Murray will join me for that. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we can begin tonight's study. Our Father, we bow before you, uh, just ever so grateful, Father, that we have access to you through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for... The, the many blessings that we enjoy, we have so much to be grateful for, despite the uncertainty and, and, quite frankly, the evil that we are seeing in the world around us. We thank you, Father, for these lessons that we draw from these uh, scriptures, and particularly the book of Judges now. We ask your blessing on our understanding, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let us do this. Uh, let me just make sure that this is muted. There we go. Uh, yes, Judges 5. So as I mentioned, this is a song of victory uh, based on the victory that we read of last week uh, through Barak and uh, Yael, governed and, and guided by the prophetess Deborah. Now, uh, this is not unlike the song of Moses after God's triumph over Pharaoh. So let's go ahead and read uh, this victory song, Judges 5.1. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel. And this is what we see, that God is in love. This is the, you know, the Bible is the greatest love story of God and Israel. And he has a covenant love for Israel. And he will avenge Israel eventually. And so Israel suffered significantly, but then God rose up. And he avenged her. So praise you the Lord for the avenging of Israel. When the people willingly offered themselves. So there came a point where Israel finally woke up and repented. And, and was willing to offer themselves for the Lord. And that's when he supported them. That's when he backed them up and they were able to be victorious. Because he, God, God could do it himself. But he does it through the people. And so again, as we're going through Judges and using it to reflect on ourselves, especially as we're going through these Feast of Weeks, are we at that point where as God's church, we offer ourselves willingly, that we are living sacrifices, that at baptism, we died in the Lord. And so there's nothing for us to hold on to because we, we gave our commitment and we gave our lives at baptism. And so we came up out of the grave a new man or a new woman. And so now there's no fear because we've already confronted death. We've already died to Christ or in Christ. And so here, God was able to do mighty things through Israel when the people offered themselves willingly. And then she says, or sings, Hear, O you kings, give ear, O you princes. Now remember, uh, this is pre-kings. Israel didn't have kings. Uh, Israel had one king. God was their king. And here now, she's telling the kings to listen. It's like when we read uh, Psalms 2. And, and, and the psalmist David is warning the kings of the earth to take heed and take warning. So here she's, she's uh, uh, speaking to Gentile kings. And really judges, 
you know, maybe another uh, title for judges would be pre-kings or Gentile kings. And through the period of the judges, Israel should learn just how evil man is and the difference between rule of law and rule of man. And when, you, when the, these nations had all these kings, they were not subject to rule of law. They were subject to rule of man. And, and men, different rulers, could just on a whim kill, promote, do whatever they want. Whereas Israel really learned rule of law. So she says to these Gentiles, Hear, O you king, kings, give ear, O you princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. This is the God. This is the true God. They're all worshiping God. This is a very religious time. Everybody has their gods. But there's only one true God. And she is now singing praise, who has now defeated these armies and the, with their false gods. And I'm sorry, I just noticed I have uh, Judges 4 up in the title there. Let me just quickly fix that for the sake of the archive. Quickly change that to Judges 5. There we go. Uh, so yes, so she um, is singing to the true God the God of Israel. And then she begins the song. Lord, when you went out of Seir, when you marched out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. The clouds also dropped water. So this was a time when she's re recounting in the past how the God of Israel acted on behalf of Israel. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, and of course we, we read of Shamgar at the end of Judges 3, uh, at the, when, when um, Elgon fell, and then there was this period um, after Ehud, or maybe I should say during Ehud, but maybe in a different region of Israel, when Shamgar rose up and, and put down uh, a, re not a, re a revolt or a, uh, uh, an incursion from the Gentiles. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Yael, the highways were unoccupied. <laughs> and it's like uh, today with this uh, uh, economic uh, lockdown, the, the highways are unoccupied. There's this uh, oppression and people are not allowed to go free. And so there was this, this maybe there's, um, you, you can get the sense of armies uh, interfering with anybody who's traveling. And so in these days, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through byways. So they had to be careful, choose their paths carefully uh, for fear of their lives. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose. So there was a problem of fear and oppression until I, Deborah, arose. That I arose a mother in Israel. That to me sounds like a condemnation of all of the men in Israel. Where is their backbone? Why, why was there no man to stand up and put down uh, this oppression? What, what is the saying when, when, when uh, brave men, when courageous men stand up and speak? The spines of weak men straighten. And where were these courageous men? Well, it took a mother in Israel, somebody who actually cared so much about Israel, she was willing to stand up and put her life on, on the line. And when she spoke, the spines of weak men strengthened. Now, what did Israel do? Like, Why, why were they in this uh, state of affairs? They chose new gods. They abandoned Jehovah. They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. That, that was their comeuppance. That's the result of, of abandoning Jehovah. Uh, war was in the gates. Was there a shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? Cowards all. Cowards all. Could, could we find a warrior? Could we find somebody who's looking at the oppression and, and, and the, the humiliation and the degradation of their people? Could, could we find somebody who would stand up and say, I've had enough? There wasn't. Cowards all. My heart 
is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. So it came to a point where there were people now who were willing to stand up, and she's pointing them out. And her admiration, her respect is toward these people. And again, it it begs the question of the church. Do we have cowards in the church? Well, of course we do. If we are just relying on our human inclinations, we are all cowards. But we receive the Holy Spirit of God, which is not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of boldness. It's a spirit, it's a sound mind, it's a spirit of love. And so if we are infused with the Holy Spirit, we offer ourselves willingly. And, and if we have this spirit of fear and anxiety and, oh no, I, I don't want to be seen, I don't want to be associated, then something is wrong. We need to get down on our knees, we need to repent, we need to be baptized, we need to have hands laid upon us, we need to receive the Holy Spirit, we need to renew the Holy Spirit, we need to stir up the Holy Spirit so that we can have the boldness that Jesus Christ expects us to have, especially in the face of the great evil that we see in our lands today. But her heart, she says, is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless you, the Lord. Speak, you that ride on white donkeys. So this would be the the noble class. You that sit in judgment, and you that walk by the way. So there's another class of people that have to walk, but there's a class that rides in, you know, today we might say fancy vehicles and others not so much. It doesn't matter what your rank is. You're an Israelite. You need to stand up for what is right. They that are delivered from the noise of the archers, and I just wanted to say as well, this, um, again, I just want to go back here, that her heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. And we know where to be a living sacrifice. Uh, and we're going to see it later in the song. But we need to be at the point where, we, you know, in, in Revelation, it speaks of a people who loved not their lives unto the death. And this, this can only be a baptized people, a people who have given themselves over to the Lord and will we'll go where, where he sends us. So she says then, speaking to the different classes here, <clears throat> They that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord. Even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of his villages in Israel. So those that have come through this, they offer themselves willingly. God goes before them. He gives them the victory and they're rehearsing now the righteous acts of the Lord. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. So it seems like now, so she is singing, and it seems now like the Israelites are are part of this, this rejoicing and this celebration as well. And so now they turn to her and they sing to her, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song. Now they turn to Barak. Arise, Barak, and lead your captivity captive, you son of Abinoam. And this is interesting language because we've seen it before, uh, leading captivity captive. And in fact, we just saw it uh, not that long ago when we were in the Psalms. And we saw that this was quoting or was quoted, the Psalms were quoted in Ephesians. When Paul says, after Christ ascends, wherefore he says, when he ascends upon high, he led captivity captive. So from reading in Judges, we can get a sense of what this means. That Israel was under oppression. Israel had captors. Israel was under captivity. And then these judges arise and they take the captors and lead them captive. And so this, what, what we are seeing here is that Christ ascends, it's the same God of Israel and the same love he has for Israel to lead captivity captive. And then that was, of course, quoting Psalm 68, where the psalmist writes, you have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive so so we now are very very clear on what this means it has to do with the oppression of israel and that the holy one of israel the suffering servant he comes specifically to loose them that are bound he comes specifically to redeem israel back to judges 
5.13 Then he made him that remains have dominion over the nobles among the people. So this is him that remains. So, so there's great battle and there are those who are courageous in the Lord and then there's this remnant that comes through the battle and they now are given dominion over the nobles among the people, among the Gentiles. The Lord made me to have dominion over the mighty. These are mighty people. And here now we see this mother in Israel, we see Barak, we see the faithful people in Israel now having the upper hand over their captors. And so again, we can take lessons from judges and gain inspiration from judges as well because as powerful as these people are, and we have some very powerful people, you know, we're dealing with people who, who, who um, negotiate in the trillions of dollars. I don't even know what that number means, but this is what they talk about, trillions of dollars. They have a lot of power. They have a lot of wealth. They're very mighty, and a lot of them are extremely nefarious. In fact, the scripture tells us the love of money is the root of all evil. And so nothing wrong with being wealthy, but if it's your God, if you can be bent by it, if you can be bribed by it, then you will have an evil heart. And there's people, many, many people with a lot of power, and they're very evil, and they mean no good to humanity. And yet, God is going to take the meek of the earth, the faithful of the earth, and give us dominion over the mighty. Then she goes on. Out of Ephraim was there a root or a remnant of them against Amalek. And it's, this is interesting wording. It, it, it seems that it's not all of Ephraim that rose to the occasion. But there was a remnant in Ephraim that rose to the occasion against Amalek. After you, Benjamin, among your people, out of Machar came down governors, and out of Zebulun they that handle the pen, handle the pen of the writer. So you know, people put down their day-to-day -day work, and they came to the battle because there was a higher priority than their personal career or their personal endeavors. They saw a bigger picture, and, and they were willing to sacrifice their lives for the bigger picture. And we have to be this way today. Yes, we all have careers. Yes, we all have pursuits. Yes, we all have our own interests. But there's a higher order interest that all of us who are in Christ have been called to. And we need to put all these things aside and make the main thing the main thing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things will be looked after. They'll be added. So she praises Zebulun. And the princes of Issachar, were with Deborah. So she praises Issachar. Even Issachar and also Barak, and we know that he came from Naphtali, he was sent on foot into the valley. For the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of heart. And now this is interesting. So Reuben had good intentions, but then she says to Reuben, why did you abide among the sheepfolds? Why didn't you come into the battle? So it seems to me a condemnation of the tribe of Reuben. And again, if we think of the church today, not everybody is willing to go into battle. In fact, the scripture tells us and our Lord tells us that some will betray. No, I shouldn't say some. He actually says many will betray. So again, we have to look at the people of God and take warning and see the natural inclinations. And we need to overcome our natural inclinations. So she says to Reuben, why did you abide among the sheep to hear the bleatings of the flocks? Like she said, I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm confused. Why did you do this? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. So there's a question mark over Reuben. Gilead abode beyond Jordan. And why did Dan remain in ships? So as far as Deborah is concerned, she feels like all of Israel should have risen to the occasion. And she's, she's confused as to why there are certain in Israel that did not. And so in this time of celebration, in this time of victory, and there's high regard for those that were faithful, she's now pointing out those that didn't come to the battle. And why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. That, I take that as condemnation. And again, as the church, when the time for battle comes, and I speak spiritually, uh, and we have to really sacrifice ourselves, and maybe here I mean physically as well, 
Will everybody rise to the occasion? Or will there be a song of victory and then an identification of those who did not rise to the occasion? Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeopardized their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. Wow, what a contrast between Dan and Reuben versus Zebulun and Naphtali. They were a people that jeopardized their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. Where were the others? And I think this um, phrasing of jeopardizing their lives unto the death, it's got to put us in mind of the account of John in Revelation. And they overcame him. Speaking of the successful saints, we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. So there's an intimate relationship with our Savior. And we understand what his sacrifice means because we've rehearsed it over and over, every year, every Passover, getting a deeper and deeper understanding where now we're totally in. We are totally in. And we, we, we understand what the blood of the Lord is and we use that to overcome any fear. And so these faithful saints overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And again, we understand the nature of God. That when he speaks his word, he never, ever, ever goes back on his word. That is what makes him God. Is the the ability for him to speak a word and then make it happen. And he never speaks a word and then he has to apologize for it because it comes back void. It comes back empty. That it didn't accomplish the thing that he said. Never. In fact, he makes the argument, and we saw it in Isaiah, that his proof that he is God is his ability to declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, that which is not yet done, saying what? My word, my counsel, my plans shall stand. And so as we come to know this God, we become like him. The thought of speaking falsehood, of lying, of breaking promises of breaking oaths. This is the furthest thing from us as we mature in Christ, that our word is our bond. If I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there unless some unforeseen thing happens and you, you know, wow, a Christian said he would be here. Don't worry, he'll be here unless it's completely out of his control because we are, we are human. But we have to be faithful. And so when we make a testimony and we say, I am in Christ, our commitment to our word gives us the strength and the courage and the boldness to overcome. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We've made an oath. This is it. And what? We jeopardized our life unto the death. (laughs) This, This life, compared to what Christ offers us, is nothing. Let the pagans, let the atheists, let the agnostics, Freak out over the threat of death. Let them panic over the threat of death. And let everyone who names the name of Christ stand firm. Look evil in the eye like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, do your worst. Our Lord is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, he has promised us the resurrection. And that's what we're striving for and eternal life, that we will live forever. So this is nothing. No matter what we do, we're going to die. This is a physical, it's a temporary existence. So, you know, we could betray. Our our life is threatened. And we betray to kind of save our life. And one minute later, two minutes later, we get struck down by a car. Or we suffer a massive heart. What was the point? What was the point? We can't hold on to this life. And every hair on our head is numbered. And so we're willing, like Naphtali and Zebulun, to jeopardize our lives unto the death. And they love not their lives unto the death. There's a vision that these saints have, that we must have, that is so clear that nothing frightens us. And we understand what, what, what we're a part of and the agenda we've been called to fulfill. Back to Judges 5.19. The kings came, this again, these Gentiles, so whenever we see kings and judges, we're talking about Gentiles, these powerful kings, they came and fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan 
into Anak by the waters of Megiddo. They took no gain of money, so, so they were in it to win it. They threw themselves into this and all of their might and their power. This is a serious war. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. So they're worshiping the heavens, but God is using these, 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 uh, uh, cre- this, his creation to fight against them. The river of Kishon swept them away. Again, God is the God of creation. So they can worship these things all they want. And these Canaanites were environmentalists. They worshiped the environment. And that, that religion has cascaded. It, doesn't, it didn't go away. It's just come up now. And uh, we call it, but you know, we have sophisticated terminology for it. But it's the same worship where we, we will degrade a human being made in God's image. And we will prioritize instead the worship of nature. This is, Canaan, this is Canaanite religion. And so the creation that they worshipped was against them because God is the God of the creation. The river of Kishon swept them away, that ancient river, the river Kishon. Oh, my soul, you have trodden down strength. <laughs> this is miraculous. How is it that the, the children of Israel, this is, the success that they have here was what was intended from the very beginning, from the time of Joshua that they should have gone into the promised land and just systematically moved out and ruled out and destroyed every trace of this uh, pagan idolatry. But they backslid and they were unfaithful and they decided to coexist with these people. But now they have the victory that they should have always had. O my soul, you have trodden down strength. Then were the horse hoofs broken by means of the prancings. The prancings of their mighty ones. So you can imagine these powerful, well-trained horses and, and their suffering uh, misfortune. Curse ye Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse you bitterly the inhabitants thereof. What is Miraz? Is Miraz? Are these Gentiles or are these Israelites in a particular geography that didn't come to the war? Not sure. Either way, someone is being cursed bitterly by the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof. And, and this is why I say uh, these are Israelites. Even though Miraz is not an Israelite tribe, it's probably a geographic location that the tribe has taken, but they have their other priorities. And when Deborah calls everyone to battle, they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. We needed all hands on deck. These are mighty, mighty people, powerful kings who have thrown themselves totally into this war. This is life or death. And Israel, we need everybody. And these people didn't come. And so they were cursed mightily. And again, it begs the question, in the church age, are we all going to be united and move forward as one flock? Or are there going to be divisions among us? And I've got a better idea, and I don't think that's a priority right now. And I, you know, I've got my little business, and I want to hold on to my career, or whatever the case is. So these people were cursed, and now there's a blessing. And who is the blessing pronounced upon? Blessed above women shall Yael, the wife of Eber, the Kenite, be. Now, Yael, is this an Israelite woman that married a Kenite? Or is it a Kenite that, like Ruth, uh, threw herself into the Israelite lot and said, yeah, I'm, I'm in with Israel, one way or the other. But she now is identified. And, and remember, um, Deborah told Barak, this is your glory. But he said, I won't go unless you come with me. And she said, okay, I'll come with you, but your glory will be transferred to a woman. You will not get the glory a woman will. And this is a prophetess, so the word she spoke came to pass. And now this, this should have been Barak. In fact, I think when I read chapters 3, 4, and 5 together, my sense is that had Barak been courageous and just yielded to the call and went out and, and conquered and delivered Israel, I think chapter 4 would have been about Barak. And Deborah probably wouldn't even been mentioned. We don't know how Othniel came to know that he was to deliver Israel. It's not mentioned. And I think had Barak been courageous, he would just be known as the, the, the next judge. 
and that he delivered Israel. But because of his cowardice and his hesitation, his initial hesitation, I think now we needed the backstory of what went on there. And we see that it was Deborah who had courage and, and strengthened the spine of weak men, and that it was actually Yael who actually delivered Israel. But this glory is should have been Barak's. Blessed above women, this is quite a blessing. Blessed above all women shall Yael, the wife of Eber the Kenite, be. So she came to Israel's assistance. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. And this is what the scripture says, that all those who bless the descendants of Abraham will be blessed. And anyone who curses the descendants of Abraham will be cursed. So all of these Gentiles, because of their cursing of Israel, are cursed. They're condemned. And this, I think it's a Gentile woman who threw her lot in with Israel, but because she blessed Israel, she is blessed. Now, I want to just talk for a moment about Yael, because what she did was quite brutal. You know, she kind of lulled this guy to sleep, and then she drove a tent peg through his temple. And that seems pretty brutal, pretty violent. And yet, God praises her. God lifts her up above all women, and she's blessed. Under the inspiration of Deborah the prophetess, she's blessed above all women. Now, look at David, and and look at what he says in Psalm 137, verse 8. O daughter of Babylon. Okay, so we're speaking of this Gentile people. O daughter of Babylon, downstream, it's in the future, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be, or blessed shall he be, that rewards you as you have served us. So there's a blessing pronounced here on anybody who deals with Babylon the way Babylon has dealt with Israel. That's what David the prophet says. He says, blessed shall he be, that takes and dashes your little ones against the stones. So David is saying, if you will take these infants and grab them by the feet and smash their heads against the rocks, you'll be blessed. Now that is violent. And I really should have put up, I I meant uh, whenever we do judges, to put up viewer discretion is advised. Because God God doesn't hold anything back here in the book of Judges. Uh, So as we go through Judges, just bear in mind, viewer discretion is advised. So this is a blessing. And that seems pretty brutal. But remember what he's saying. He's not saying, take the little ones, take the babies, and smash their head against the stone. Because people will take this and they'll criticize the Bible for this. But what David is saying is actually, it needs context. So if we look at the context, he says in the previous verse, blessed shall he be that rewards you as you have served us. And we know that when Christ comes, this is exactly what he's going to do. This is from Deuteronomy 30, that all of the designs of the Gentiles that are upon Israel When God rises in defense of Israel, he takes all of those designs and turns them back on the heads of the Gentiles. So, yes, very violent, very uh, brutal language. But we have to understand just how much the devil is working through these people. And you even look at somebody like uh, Amalek, who Saul spared, and, and he was supposed to completely destroy these people. And years later, we see them come up in the time of uh, Esther and rise up to destroy the people of Israel. It's in the DNA. And so God is clear. You've got to to clean this up, clear these people out. And yet, don't worry, there's a resurrection. They will be brought back to life and they will be taught uh, what is what and who is who. Back to Judges. He asked water. So remember, he came in and he asked water, and she gave him milk. So she ingratiated herself to him. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. So he's feeling quite safe now. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. So while he's fast asleep there, he's probably snoring, he's exhausted, 
and she takes the tent peg and just positions it right in the perfect spot. And then she takes the workman's hammer. She's determined. She has a clear intention. She is standing for Israel. And God is rewarding her and blessing her for this act. And with the hammer, she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. Now, Deborah puts this to music, you know. Uh, you know from, um, my, my parents are from Jamaica. And, and the reggae music, uh, historically, was, it was like news. That they would take incidents that happened and they would put it to music. And then that music would travel all over the island. And, and it was a way of, of news spreading because it could be easily remembered. It would, it would rhyme. It had a good catchy beat. People would catch on. And, and, the, and so it could be replicated and, and spread through the island. That's how news used to travel. And so Deborah knows what news she wants remembered and spread. And this is the news that she puts to music. And this, this very violent act is something that she regards very highly as a prophetess of God. And so clearly God regards this very highly. And he wants Israel to know, this is what I expected of you. When you came into the promised land, this is what you were to do. God has had it with these people, these filthy people. They were to be wiped out. But Israel lost nerve and lost backbone. But Yael didn't. At her feet, he bowed. He fell, this mighty warrior, this mighty general. At a woman's feet, he bowed. He fell. He lay down. At her feet, he bowed. He fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. And again, you just think this is put to music. And so this is going to be very memorable. And, and generations later, they can be still singing this song. And all over Israel, they can be singing this song. Now, the fact that he died at the hand of a woman in this time was brutal. You know, we'll come to Judges later, but in Judges 9.53, a certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. So he realized he's going to die now. So while he realized this woman has done this to him and he's, he's on death's door, then he called hastily unto the young man his armor bearer and said unto him, Draw your sword and kill me, that men say not of me, a woman slew him. That's, this is how humiliating this was at this time. That I know today, if you watch any kind of uh, Hollywood nonsense, women are drop-kicking men and beating up men, and they're just so powerful and men are so weak. But, you know, Satan is just twisting everybody's head. But back in the day, men were warriors, and they protected their women. And the idea that you were slain by a woman was utter humiliation for your whole line and family and so this man Abimelech said you, can, you need to kill me fast lest when I die and they, you know, the cause of death a woman killed him uh, draw your sword and slay me that men say not of me a woman slew him and his young man thrust him through he understood how important and urgent this was he didn't hesitate and, and, and his young man thrust him through and he died Whew, that was close it was nearly said of him that he died of a woman well, this general, this mighty warrior, Sisera, he gets the honor. Thousands of years later, here we are talking about him. He died of a woman. The mother of... Now, now read, look at this now. Verse 28. The mother of Sisera looked out at a window. So, so Deb, Deborah understands that while all of this is happening, the mother of this general, this wicked, wicked, brutal man, his mother, just sort of think, you know, the mother of Adolf Hitler. The mother of Sisera, of Sisera looked out at a window and cried through the lattice. This is, this is Sisera, my baby, my baby boy. And he, he's missing. And so she cried through, through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? So she did not expect this. Sisera goes out. Sisera comes back. Sisera goes out, you know, loots, steals, plummets, rapes, murders, does all kinds of atrocious things, and then he comes home to mommy. And mommy hugs him up and kisses him up and says, there, there, my little baby boy, you're just so wonderful. And so there's this great bond between mommy and Sisera. And this time Sisera didn't come home. 
Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Like, what's going on here? This, so while all of this is happening in the tent with Yael, Sisera's mommy is wondering, I wonder what's taking... Usually he takes a, makes a short work of slaughtering people. And then he comes right back home and I, I cook him his favorite meals. What's taking so long this time? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Her wise ladies answered her, yes. She returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey? So they have absolute confidence in Sisera's ability to win every battle. And so she answers herself, yep, they, they, they've gone quickly. And then when they win, they divide the prey. Now remember, these are Canaanites. And, and today, the descendants of these people are Muslims. And Islam, it's like uh, the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church basically took the paganism of the day and just packaged it. So the pagans continued to do what they always did. They just called themselves Christians. Islam is the same way. It took the paganism of Arabia and the paganism of that whole uh, Middle Eastern culture and it just packaged it and, and put it in a package with a bow on it and then called it a, a religion of Abraham. But it's full of paganism. And so, and that paganism is not new. It goes all the way back to the original people. And so they, are Can- they, they have Canaanite religion and they worship Baal. And so here, they do what they always do. They go into battle and they divide the prey. To every man, a damsel or two. This is mommy. Knowing that they go into battle and they kidnap women and they rape them. On the very day that they, you know, Muhammad slaughtered, nine, beheaded 900 Jews, on the very day he took the leader of that tribe, took his wife, after slaughtering her father, slaughtering her brother, slaughtering her husband, slaughtering her children, that day he took her to wife and took her to bed. This is Canaanite religion. It's brutal. And so this is what they did. But mommy doesn't see a problem. Why doesn't mommy see a problem? Because he comes back with riches and gives her riches. So she turns a blind eye. And that's exactly what they do to this day. As long as they're enriched by it, who cares what happens to others? So every man takes a damsel or two, maybe one, maybe two, whatever, they're fan- whatever they fancy. To Sisera, a prey of diverse colors. A prey of diverse colors of needlework, of diverse colors of needlework on both sides. So he, he gets the best of everything. Meet for the next of them that take the spoil. So she's just got it all figured out. And this, this is just habit now. It's no problem. But that didn't happen. He didn't come back. He had a temple or a nail driven through his temple. And then what does Deborah say? She has no pity for mommy, mommy Sisera. These are wicked people. And God instructed Israel to go in and wipe them out. And, and, and God himself will do this. When he comes, he comes in wrath. And he comes in wrath over his land. And there's controversy over his land. And Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies and the abomination of desolation will be set up. But that's when he will act. And he will wipe these people out once and for all. And Zechariah 14 tells us, a Canaanite will never, ever, 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 ever enter into Jerusalem again. God is sick of these people and their nastiness. So let all your enemies, or so let all your enemies, that is Jehovah's enemies, so the enemies of Israel are the enemies of God. So let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun when he goes forth in his might. And isn't that the promise? That we will shine as the sun in its full strength in our resurrected bodies? But it, it, you know, we have to love him and love his purpose and be behind his purpose and support his agenda and love and bless Israel. Not, not, I don't just mean the land called Israel today. I mean the tribe of Israel, the descendants of Israel, the, 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 the DNA stock of Abraham. Let them that love him be as the sun when, he go, when, it goes down, when it goes forth in its might. And the land had rest 40 years. And so Judges 5 comes to an end with this wonderful celebration. It was a wonderful victory in Judges 4. Wonderful celebration. And we see what's important to God by how this prophetess was inspired to put it to music. 
And this is what God wants remembered and spread. And so the land now had rest. After all these enemies are subdued, the land has rest 40 years. Now, lest we think that that's the end, let's just read verse 1 of chapter 6, where God willing will be next week. And, and you guessed it. After 40 years of rest, the children of Israel did evil in whose sight? In their own sight? Not in their own sight. They're quite pleased with themselves. They're quite self-righteous. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So next year, we'll read about that, the land of Midian, and um, uh, or how they, how they uh, uh, suffered under the hand of Midian because of this evil. So this is judges. Like, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, this wonderful victory that Deborah sings of, this should be the beginning of the kingdom of Israel being established. But these people's heart is inclined to do evil. Not in their own eyes. If you were to interview them, they'd tell you how wonderful they are and they're the people of God and how the feast that they keep. But in God's eyes, they did evil. And again, it begs the question, as the church of God, as the first fruits Israel of God, I know in our own sight, we're righteous people and we keep the feast days. But in the sight of God, if we were to reconcile our behavior with the word of God, are we doing evil in the sight of God? So this is a good place for us to end. Uh, that's Judges 5. What we'll do now is uh, open this up and just have a conversation with you about um, the studies that we've had so far. And if there are any questions if on cgi.churchonline.org, if you can post them there. I'll also take a quick look at uh, Facebook. If we don't see your question, um, you know, the way, with Facebook Live, uh, it, it'll just pass and we won't. So if we didn't answer it and you want an answer, maybe just post it again. But uh, Pastor Murray, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? Okay, good. Really good. Thanks for joining tonight. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Another good study. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe we'll, just before you get started, we'll just confirm that uh, everybody can hear Pastor Murray uh, well. And uh, Murray, if you can just talk for a little bit, maybe just tell us. Uh, you've been doing the count sure. for us on Slack. Really appreciate that. Uh, how do you manage to keep up? How do you manage all of the things that you're doing for us? Uh, well, the same way you do manage all the stuff that you're doing. You, uh, just uh, find time to prioritize the important things, and the, the account is, uh, is important. It's uh, just a small thing, but um, small things matter to God as we're going through the book of Judges, right? So. Yeah, very good. And that's actually what struck me in Judges there, where you see Deborah is confused. You know, why didn't Dan and why didn't Reuben, why didn't they come to the battle? They had other priorities. And then she highlights Zebulun and Naphtali, the people who, who hold the pen for the writers. They put it down, and they came to the battle. So I think that point that you make about prioritization is so critical. And uh, all of us as Christians, we need, really need to be asking ourselves, do we have God's priorities as our priority? Did you get any feedback, uh, Pastor Murray? Yes, yeah, yeah, they can hear us. Okay, yeah. perfect, yeah, wonderful. So. Good, good. So uh, I know there was a question, Pastor Murray, from our sister Lori, and this came on the Slack channel, and it was regarding a video from a rabbi, and I forget his name now, but it was to do with uh, the Feast of Weeks and leaven, and how there's leaven, there's no leaven in the uh, wave sheaf offering, but 50 days later, at the first fruits offering, there is leaven uh, with the offering. And so she, you know, he had an approach or a thought or a theory that uh, you know leaven represents doctrine, and so you know, there's there's this uh, new doctrine that we have to take on. I believe I'm, I'm summarizing this correctly. Maybe you can correct me if, if I'm wrong. It's been a little while since I looked at it. But the, the offering with leaven at, at Pentecost represents new doctrine that we're to take on. Uh, so maybe if you don't mind just sort of summarizing your understanding of the question, and then, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Sure, yeah. No, that summarized it very well. Um, I don't remember the gentleman's name either. His website was Unlearn the Truth. And he had dealt with the, uh, and generally speaking, he was dealing with the validity of the Feast of Weeks. And, and overall, he did a very good job. He cited a lot of references that we would support, uh, that the Feast of Weeks is a good thing. It was just this one point that uh, caused some confusion for our sister uh, in that, as you, as you correctly noted, what he said was that leaven is doctrine. So there's bad leaven, bad doctrine, good leaven, good doctrine. And that the inclusion of the this... Um, 
offering in Leviticus 23 on the day of Pentecost of these two leavened loaves had to do with the, the um, inculcation of good doctrine over the course of the Feast of Weeks. And so that's that, so that, that does sound plausible. It does. Uh, so th- th- therein lies the confusion. So I'm certainly glad that Sister Lori reached out and asked about that. Um, it was interesting to me that in his overall handling of the Feast of Weeks, he posted a lot of scriptures, uh, which uh, in, in valid support of the Feast of Weeks and Pentecost. But he referenced, he didn't show in any scriptures, he just referenced his thought on this being, uh, leaven being doctrine. And he referenced Luke 12, where Christ warned to beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees, I think is how he put it. Actually, when I remember watching the video, because I picked that up as well, that there was no scriptural support for his thought that leaven represents doctrine. He just sort of threw it out there that Christ taught that leaven represents doctrine. And I can't find that teaching in the Bible. I don't, I don't no. see anywhere where Christ said, leaven represents doctrine. And that's always a, a key when somebody, th- when somebody has a theory is uh, to, to find out if they actually quote a scripture. And he just, and I believe the scripture he was referencing was beware the, the leaven of the Pharisees. Uh, but he didn't quote it right because he said the doctrine of the Pharisees. Um, and uh, he then went on to say that leaven was doctrine, as we said, you know, can be good doctrine or bad doctrine. Uh, but he never actually went to the scripture. When you go to the scripture, and it's in Luke 12, it actually says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Wow. And, uh, um, so it's actually not doctrine at all, it's right. attitude. Right. And when you go into 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul really uh, digs a deeper into why we need to deleaven ourselves, we see leaven being a, a puffy substance can represent pride, arrogance, hypocrisy. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul then further says to put on the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Truth is doctrine. So oh, what we actually wow. find is unleavened bread is doctrine. Wow. It represents doctrine. So the absence of leaven is yes. it represents doctrine. Which then brings us to what do these two leavened loaves, what could that possibly mean? Now, the Bible doesn't directly interpret this one. And it is interesting that a lot of uh, Church of God groups, will they don't really address it in too much detail. Uh, we've got a couple of sources. One, one is in our um, a correspondence course. There's also a blog I found written by one of our pastors that does address this briefly. Uh, and not most churches don't really go into a whole lot of depth here, so it leaves this open to interpretation, which is why gentlemen like this could say this and cause some confusion. Uh, from uh, my perspective, and uh, I'll throw this out and then see what you think about it, Christ is the perfect offering and was accepted by God before the Feast of Weeks began. The first fruits are represented uh, at the end of the Feast of Weeks on the day of Pentecost. So why these 11 loaves? The best that most uh, most people can come up with is that these represent imperfect offerings, that we are still imperfect. Uh, now, perhaps, um, you know, Pentecost pictures the distribution of the law and the Holy Spirit, and then we come into the church age. So as we, as we um, are baptized and we come to God as imperfect, imperfect beings, as the first fruits, beginning our journey, Upon the receipt of the Holy Spirit, the whole per, uh, process of perfection begins. But um, we are imperfect, and we need God's mercy to come before Christ. Um, so really, mo- most interpretations that I've found within our movement, within the Church of God, and specifically CGI, will say that this must mean that we are, this has to do with the, the, the imperfect, uh, we, the first fruits, being imperfect. Um you may have a, we, there are various other interpretations that I've read uh, that, may, that play off of this, uh, that what could, what could these two loaves mean? Could they represent two types of group of people, uh, specific groups of people? Again, uh, all, all interesting to consider and, 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 and could be valid interpretations, but I think when you boil it all down, the fact that leaven pictures sin, it seems most reasonable that these two leavened loaves have to do with the first fruits being imperfect offerings because Christ is really only the, per- the only perfect offering. 
Um, your thoughts? Uh, I love what you're saying there, and I think it's very consistent uh, with Scripture. Um, I think that the Scripture, James says that we are a kind of first fruits. So we, we, you know, we call ourselves first fruits because we are in the first fruits harvest. But the Scripture, more specifically, says that Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. And then it goes on further to say. We are a kind of first fruits. So we're, we're a kind of first fruits. Um, so I think we're a kind of first fruits because, you know, we, we are leavened. We are, not, uh, uh, we are not the perfect offering as Christ was. But Christ came as the Holy One of Israel to redeem Israel. So because of his offering, this offering can now be acceptable to God. So I think that's very acceptable. I think the two loaves, just in my opinion... Would represent two types of first fruits, and I think we have the Old Testament saints, uh, and then we have the saints in Christ, uh, baptized into Christ in the new in the new covenant. And you know, again, we have the hundred and forty four thousand, which is twelve by twelve. We've got the twelve apostles, and we've got the twelve um, the, the twelve uh, tribes, the heads of the tribes. So to me, that is consistent that there are um, two types of first fruits, uh, because there were many that had the Holy Spirit historically that are going to come up. In, in, mm. the, in the first resurrection. But I do think uh, I love what you've done here with this. And again, it's scripturally supported and um, it's consistent. It, it is consistent. I, I, I didn't like the inconsistency with the rabbi. I thought he was, he, was all, he was doing really well. And then it just sort of really struck me that he's quoting Christ without actually going to the scripture. And he's just saying and, Christ, Christ said this. And in fact, misquoting Christ. Yeah, yeah misquoting Christ. Uh, to me, that's... Uh, that, 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 that caused me concern, but I, I, I think that's great. And maybe we'll see if there's any further um, conversation or discussion on this. But, you know, there, as you, you mentioned as well, that there's some things that are not quite clear. Uh, so the hidden things belong to God, but he gives us what he gives us, and, and we work with what he gives us. Absolutely. And you know what? It, it's okay to uh, uh, hypothesize where the Bible doesn't make clear, as long as you were clear that, that it's an interpretation based off of... Uh, uh, best that it's based off of other scriptures, um, but where God God doesn't make it clear, uh, you know, there are secret things that belong to belong to the Lord. Uh, good for us to to uh, you know debate back and forth a little bit, to study back and forth as yes. long as we understand the interpretations. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm not seeing any questions on. Um... Oh, I'm actually looking at the Sabbath service, not at the study. I just saw somebody who was saying, "God, I need you," <laughs> on the. Uh... On the uh, Facebook, but any any questions or comments there on the uh, on the chat? Yeah, there was one about uh, the Canaanites, but uh, the sister that posed the question actually later on said you answered the question for on the Oh, side. great. Okay, perfect. So just you know about the Canaanites. I did have one uh, as we're waiting for. Some and sorry, just just while you're talking there, uh, Elena Ames says thank you, Murray. Interesting, and uh, and also thanks me as well. So thank you for that. Christy Romine says hi, everybody. Hi, Christy. Thanks so much for joining us. And Brenda Ray says hello. Hello, Brenda. Hello, everybody. Good. Uh, thanks for uh, those uh, greetings to us. We certainly uh, do. Both of us do appreciate uh, when you do uh, say hello. And um, as we've said uh, many, many times, it's kind of like our uh, electronic congregation or an online congregation. That's right. That we have every Wednesday. So very good. Sorry, you were saying something. Yeah, there was one other thing that came up last week that I noticed that I wanted to address, and that has to do with uh, Judges chapter 4, verse 11, that noted uh, Hobab being Moses' father-in-law, uh, which, which stood out uh, to me, because in Exodus, in two different places, Moses' father-in-law has two other names. Uh, so in Exodus, or Judges chapter 4, verse 11, in uh, we, uh, it refers to Hobab, Moses' father-in-law. Um, and if those of you who are jumping ahead here a little bit, if you're not in the King James Version, you might see another interpretation we're going to get to that. In uh, Exodus 3, verse 1, Moses' his father, Moses father-in-law is referred to as Jethro. In chapter 2, verse 18, he's referred to as Ruel. So how, how do we uh, come to some sort of consistency here? Well, the, the best explanation I've been able to find is also supported by Scripture. Uh, so I'll get to the explanation first. The, the Hebrew word for father-in-law and brother-in-law, I know you've studied Hebrew a little bit, um, more than I have for sure. So the Hebrew word for brother-in-law and father-in-law 
uh, contain the same consonants and are only differentiated by their vowels. And when Hebrew was written down, they didn't, as I understand, they didn't write the vowels. Originally, that's so, right. So when the interpreters are the, 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 the interpreting Hebrew, it comes to a bit of a, I don't want to say a guess, but in, in essence, it is a bit of a guess. Well, it, it wasn't before because there was the oral tradition and they were constantly rehearsing right. it. But after some of the uh, oppression that they suffered and, and these people were lost, that then they were facing the text and the people didn't remember how to actually interpret it. So now they just have to rely on th those who can read Hebrew and try to figure out from the context what, what are the vowels that should be there. And that's where they came up with the vowel markings without changing the consonants because the text was sacred. They didn't want to change it. So that's where they came up with the vowel markings. So absolutely, I, I get what you're saying, where they see the consonants and now they have to guess what are the vowels that go with it. So the, uh, when you go dig a little deeper into the meanings of the name, so Jethro... Uh, the, the name means excellence. So one of the interpretations here is this is more maybe a title. Um, uh, you know, we would refer to one of our leaders here as His Excellency. Uh, that yeah. could be a possible interpretation. And Ruel, that name means friend of God. So when you see Ruel, the friend of God, uh, uh, maybe Jethro was a title that was used. I don't know. Uh, but that sort of balances up those two, where he could be, you know, Jethro Ruel or His Excellency Ruel, perhaps. When you go into Numbers 10, verse 29, that helps define who Hobat is. And it was actually Moses' brother-in-law, the son of Ruel. And that's that's further defined there. So when you go into, when you take Judges 4, verse 11, into some of the other translations, that has been corrected uh, or reinterpreted to say brother-in-law. Uh, but it was just something that stood up last week that uh, I've always known Moses' mm -hmm. father to be Jethro or yes. Ruel. Uh, and now here's a third name. So yeah. just wanted to... Uh, put a little bit of color there. That's great. I really appreciate that. Very, very good. Very good. I'm just checking the uh, checking the church online here. Um, and we have a, a note here from Nalita Simpson. She says, watching from Jamaica. Greetings, uh, Nalita. Thank you for joining us from Jamaica. That's great. Greet yes, greetings uh, as well. Uh, yeah, just some comments here. Uh, Sister Donna says, we cannot be the first fruit, which again supports uh, what you had said. Um, uh, Sister Lydia quotes uh, Matthew 16, verse 12, in regard to the 11 of the Pharisees. Uh, um, Sister Sylvie um, had a, had a uh, comment that Christ was without sin. And uh, yeah, just uh, no other questions uh, so far here on the chat. And just a comment here from Ardith Dillard. Hi from Cliff and Ardith from Kansas. Happy to get our Bible studies. Hello, Cliff and Ardith. Great to have you as part of our virtual congregation here. Hopefully you're able to join us on Sabbath as well. We have a, a Sabbath service at 2.30 Eastern Time, 1.30 Central, uh, right here in, at cgi.churchonline.org. And I guess it goes on to Facebook as well. We'll be speaking this Sabbath as well on the fast. And interestingly, the, oh, very good. the, um, the uh, concept of the fast actually came from the chat on this study about two weeks ago. There were several of right. our members here on the chat from around the world that were uh, started to throw the idea back and forth um, that it would be great to uh, have a, a uh, group fast and a day of fasting and prayer. So that was put forward uh, to uh, the leadership at Tyler based off of everyone here that has right. that. So, Amazing. Uh, we're going to be speaking about, uh, uh, you know, why, why, fast, why we're going to fast or why, we, why God calls fast and why, why it's important to fast. Mm. Yeah, really looking forward to that. And I think um, just going back to the question that you started off with, uh, Pastor Murray, um, and, and just as the artist says, Cliff and Ardith enjoy the studies, I think what's important about these studies is they're line by line. We open up a book and we read it line by line and everything is now in context. There may be very familiar verses. I know when I was reading Isaiah, verses that I know coming into the church, I learned them. They're very poetic. But when I actually sit down and read it in context, it, 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 it doesn't say what I thought it said or it doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Um, and I think the same way with that rabbi where he just says, oh, you know, Christ says, well, he's a rabbi. So I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to accept what he says. But what God wants is for us to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And searching the scriptures means reading it in context, line by line. What, what, you know, what's happening before? What happens after? 
what does the, what would the scripture mean to the people that Christ was speaking to? How would they have interpreted it? We can build on that, but it can't mean the opposite of what Christ originally meant. So I think that uh, I appreciate the opportunity we have to do these studies and, 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 and um, lift up the word of God above the word of men. It, you know, the Bible is the, let's take it, it's the word of God, let's give it high regard and, and study everything in context. Yeah, absolutely. And, and please, everybody, don't take anything anyone says here, whether it be Adrian and I or anybody else on, on any message, uh, just at face value. Uh, open up your Bibles. That's right. Uh, um, open up different versions. Uh, I mean, um, uh, uh, you'll see, uh, and as you see different, uh, as you come to study the scriptures, you'll see even some of the more modern versions have taken liberties that are, are against uh, the true meaning of the text. Uh, so much so, and I don't mean to get off on a tangent here, but you go into some of the more liberal uh, translations or, or paraphrases, and there's complete elimination of things like Satan and Lucifer and uh, and Christ. Uh, and Christ. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, really become uh, really. If there's anything that that we can take from this set of studies here, it's, it's as you said, it's the it's the line by line. Very very good. Very good. So um, you gave us a preview of what you'll be speaking about this Sabbath. So we're looking forward to that. What is the purpose of fasting? And certainly God expects that of his people. So we'll be uh, encouraged very much uh, to look forward to that. I see uh, Elena Ames says, uh, that's why I love these studies, because you go through everything. Uh, amen. Thanks so much. And that's, uh, again, we want to give God's word high regard, not our word. Uh, we're going to go through the Bible and use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And always put uh, the word of God above what we think or say. And again, we open ourselves up. We'll take questions. Uh, we, don't, we might not know the answer. We'll just say, you know what? That's a good question. We'll have to look into that one. Uh, because it's not about men. It's about the word of God. And, and the word of God is going to strengthen us and, and support us through everything ahead. It's, it's, a, it's a lamp unto our feet. Uh, so as, as the world turns and as the world changes and as, uh, you know, what does the scripture say? Uh, men's hearts failing them for fear. Christians will be bold. Why will Absolutely. we be bold? Because of the word of God. Absolutely, amen. Good way to end. Very, very good. Very, very good. Well, Pastor Murray, really appreciate you. you. And, you know, although you don't come on screen uh, every week, you're, you're very, very often, like you know, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, you're here every week and you're here on the chat. And certainly you and I behind the scenes uh, really appreciate the support that we have for one another. So Absolutely. Yeah, yes. So thank you for all your service. And brethren, we look forward to you joining us again. Um, you know, there's there's all different services that are available to us on Sabbath. I believe Tyler is um, 11 a.m. Eastern time. No, 12. 12 uh, Eastern, 11, 11 Central, Central time. time. 12, 12 yeah. uh, our time. So, so Tyler's service is at 11 a.m. Um, Central time. And then our service will be at 2.30 or 1.30 Central, 2.30 Eastern time. So brethren. And uh, Medina at 10 a.m on the uh, CGI Medina website. That's a different, yes. And then the Facebook, they have a Facebook page as well where they broadcast. Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, thanks, Great. Pastor Murray. Brethren, thanks so much. God bless. Remember, Jesus Christ is Lord. His word is incontrovertible. Let's stand on his word and stand on his promises. God bless. Praise God. Praise God.